0: All right, so we are in our first week of one of our most, I would think, one of our most important series we've ever done here at Renaissance. Uh, n- not that other things that we've done here don't matter or don't uh, affect your lives, but today and in this month, uh, while we're talking about relationships, I-, I don't say this lightly, but I actually think that this can change your life. Uh, everything that we do, every interaction that we have, uh, whether it's at school or at work or at our, uh, in community and certainly romantic relationships, uh, it it affects us. Now, if you're brand new to church and you are like, yo, this is the first time, my mother's been nagging me, telling me I need to go to church, and finally I'm here, Uh, you you have picked a great Sunday to come, you don't need a PhD in theology to understand any of the things that we're talking about. And more importantly, uh, even if you don't understand all of the things that we're talking about, or even if you don't agree with everything we're saying, I, I, I want to bet you guys, I want to dare you to try some of this stuff out in your relationships, in your friendships, in your marriage. And I bet you a dollar to a dime that this stuff greatly impacts the way you, uh, your relationships, and it benefits you in a really good way. Now, I want to say from the outset um, that today I really just want to have a conversation with you. Right? I don't have three points to a conclusion that's going to flow so beautifully and, and, and weave, but I really just want to talk to you because, man, this stuff is so, so, so important. Now, some of you in here are, uh, are single by choice. Some of you are single by circumstance. Uh, some of you are widowed or, or divorced or um, going through a tough time in life, and, or maybe you're in a really uh, terrible relationship now. Maybe you're married and right now you're thinking about pulling the plug. Uh, I really hope that today and these next couple of weeks can be encouragement for you, uh, even if you've uh, really not seen too many good examples of relationships in your own life. But even better than that, right, uh, this city is made up of a lot of uh, single people, and this church is no exception to that, right? And every single time some of you go home, you might be talking to your one aunt. She might lean over the table and say, hey, so you haven't found anybody nice yet? Right? Or the, your, your uncle might say, Oh, don't you, don't you want kids? Right? That's your, I know you guys love to hear that. And every single time you hear that, you might want to stand up, flip the table over, <laughs> throw the sweet potato pie in somebody's face, and say, No, I've never thought about, I've never thought about it. Thank you so much. You're the <laughs> first person that's ever told me that. <laughs> Relationships are, t- are tough. Uh, being single, for some people, is, is really tough. But I, my hope today... And my hope over these next couple of weeks is that we paint a really good picture and we help to to shape the way that we approach relationships. And if you're single, my hope for you is that the way you get into your next relationship will be a really healthy way and that you attract the right person. And if you're married, I pray that uh, for the rest of today, uh, we will talk about some things that will really shape your relationship, shape the way you look at your partner and everything else. But ultimately, we're doing this because... To be perfectly honest, man, as a pastor, I hear some of the most uh, amazingly depressing stories about relationships. And so many times I'm talking to somebody and, man, men, women, and, and people of uh, friendships that are uh, deteriorating, parents who are having a really difficult time adjusting, and certainly marriages that are crumbling, and I'm thinking to myself, man, if only, if only they can get this, if only they can just get, get, get this one thing, I think it would uh, drastically change their relationship. But let me, let me warn you guys right now that one of my nicknames that I give myself is the love doctor, right? <laughs> now, I have still yet to ever successfully match anybody, <laughs> but it doesn't stop me from, from trying. Now, I'm not... I know I'm on a stage right now, and uh, certainly if we brought my wife up here, she would, she would be able to tell you all of the things that are not right about Jordan. So this is not me preaching at you guys and telling you all of the things that are wrong with you, wrong with your relationship. This is, this is certainly an us thing. But I think there's a couple of things embedded in culture uh, that, we, that we don't uh, get, I mean that we do get, or we, we get such a really bad uh, view of what relationships are that it's really difficult for us to navigate. Now, life is a three-way struggle. We struggle with other people, we struggle with ourselves, and we struggle with God. Life is a three-way struggle. We struggle with other people, we struggle with ourselves, and we struggle with God. And good relationships require thriving in all three areas. Now, what's the root of bad relationships? Uh, What is the root Of bad relationships. I don't want to be dismissive of anything that's happened in people's relationships. Now there are some things that are extremely painful, that are uh, very detrimental, and oftentimes kill relationships, right? So lying, uh, infidelity, cheating, uh, being closed off, uh, not being there for somebody, not being supportive. These things absolutely hurt relationships, and nothing that we're talking about today is going to minimize that at all. There are some things that have happened in your life, uh, maybe even recently for some of you, that really, really hurt, and it should hurt. So nothing uh, that we're going to say is, gonna, is, is aimed to invalidate uh, those feelings or those hurts. But what's the best way to improve your relationships? What's the best way to, to, to navigate uh, our relationships, whether it be romantic or otherwise? I want to I explain like this. Now most of the time when I talk to people about relationships, uh, whether it's a married couple or a dating couple or two friends that had a falling out. Uh, when we talk, 99.9% of the time, what I hear is this. They did this, and they did this. Bro, you have no idea. She did this and this. and w- Wait, I got the whole list. I, got, I saved a note on my iPhone. <laughs> and She did this and this and this and this. Or well, you have no idea what he does. He did this. He didn't show up for this. He never does the dishes. He does this, and his feet stink. And 99% of the time, all of our attention is, is focused on what's outside. 99% of the time, we're focused on what they are doing. See, instead of looking at me and us, we're looking at they and them. And if they would just get their act together, if they would just learn how to, how to be in this relationship, if he would just step up to the plate, if she would just get her act together and stop thinking this world revolves around her, if he would do this, if she would do this, and we missed the piece the whole time. You see, good good relationships don't require, uh, you know, amazing chemistry. Good relationships don't require that you just be so compatible and you guys are like um, Jerry Maguire where somebody's running through the rain and he walks in the room and says, you complete me. See, good relationships don't require that. Good relationships require healthy people. Good relationships require that you and I are emotionally healthy and spiritually grounded. Now, let me, let me explain it like this. I have an amazing example. This might be the most amazing thing you will ever see in your life. So don't take your eyes off of this water bottle. If you do, the last person that took their eyes off died, and I don't want <laughs> any of you to die. All right, so now look at this water bottle. You right? You ready? Now, why did water fall out the water bottle? Because I shook the water bottle. Now, that's the most uh, apparent answer. And, if you were to say, yes, the water bottle was shaken, and then water came out, you'd be partially correct. The water wasn't bothering anybody, it was in a bottle, and all of a sudden you started to shake it, and look at what you did, now it's all over the floor. But the immediate cause is not the ultimate cause. Now, let me explain like this. If you're in uh, Africa, you're, in a, you're on safari, and you see a bunch of zebras running away from a lion, now they might have started to run because they heard another zebra make an alarm call. Right? There might have been a zebra in, in the back, like, Yo, Ricky, watch out! This is... <laughs> in my mind, zebras are named Ricky, so just, just go with it. Now, the immediate cause of why that zebra was running is, yes, it, was, it heard an alarm call. But the ultimate cause of why that zebra is running is for survival. Ultimately, that zebra is running away because it wants to save its own life. And the reason water came out the water bottle wasn't just because I shook it. That was the immediate cause, but not the ultimate cause. The ultimate cause of why water came out the bottle is this. There was already water inside the bottle. Now, there was already water inside the bottle. Now, relationships and people have a problem, uh, have a way of rubbing us and shaking us in so many different directions. And we can look at them and say, look what you did. Look at this mess on the floor. Look what you created. And all the while, we are ignoring what's inside of us that there was water already inside, to that anger, that bitterness, that fear, oftentimes that anxiety, all of these things existed in you before I even showed up. And yes, relationships have a way of shaking us, but that stuff was inside of us a long time before. Now, relationships certainly have a way of shaking us, but the ultimate cause of what's going on in our lives is that you and I need to be more emotionally healthy and spiritually grounded. Now, the key to good relationships is not that they just need to get their act together. Now, that might be a part. The key to good relationships is not that they need to learn how to approach better or that they need to do this or he needs to do this or she needs to do this. The key to a good relationship is that we be a healthy person. Now, when you really dig down, we can realize that it's that I have a me problem and they have a them problem and both of us are combined in a relationship. I have a me problem, I have a Jordan problem, and you have a you problem. And these things get combined in relationships. Now good relationships don't require amazing chemistry and all these different things. Um, I think the, the thing that we get lost in when you listen to a John Legend album, it's like, all of me, you, start, <laughs> right? you put your hands up and be like, yo, this song is taking me to the next level and all these different things. But that's, that's good, that's all, that's all cool. But you can have amazing chemistry with somebody, right, and chemistry comes and chemistry can go in a month. So I got a D in high school chemistry, but I did learn this thing right here, that a good thing can turn into a bad thing really quickly. Like H2O, if you add another oxygen molecule to it, it turns into hydrogen peroxide. Drink that and you'll die. See, we put way too much stock in chemistry, way too much stock in this first, uh, first attraction and, and how instantly things happen, and we ignore the weightiest piece of it. The only thing that's going to sustain a relationship is that you and I are healthy people. Now, Lawrence read a scripture earlier that I want to dig into a little bit. Uh, it's a short verse, uh, and that helps us in this three-way struggle of life. It says this in Proverbs 4 and 23, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Now, here Solomon is a king of, of ancient Israel, and Solomon wrote a bunch of books in the Bible called Books of Wisdom. And in these Books of Wisdom, Solomon is breaking it down for us, how we can have good relationships. And he's saying, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do uh, in life springs from it. Now, uh, I don't want any of the fellows to check out thinking that this is about emotion or, or feeling, uh, because when the Bible talks about heart, it talks about way more than just a feeling. Right, uh, my wife and I went to the Met a couple of um, weeks ago, and we were there. We went to the ancient Egypt exhibit, and it was incredible. And this guy pulled us aside, and he starts telling us all of these facts about the ancient Egyptians, and it was it was amazing. And he said that when the mummies were preserved, they would take the brains out, and they would keep the hearts inside because the way the Egyptians thought was that the heart was actually much more than just an organ that beat blood throughout your body, that your heart was where your thoughts and your ideas and your convictions came out of, that your heart was the center of who you were. You didn't need the brains. All you needed was your heart. So the ancient understanding of heart was way more than just um, a feeling or or butterflies or any of these things Uh, in Scripture where it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart in Exodus What it was saying is, it wasn't saying that God gave Pharaoh a bad attitude, right? It was saying that God, uh, that the center of who Pharaoh was, was closed off. His deepest convictions, his deepest beliefs about life and how things should go were closed off and hardened. So when Solomon uses the scripture here and says to guard your heart, he's saying this, guard the thing that you put your hope in. Guard uh, your your deepest beliefs. Guard your convictions. Guard your, your emotions. Guard all of these things. Because everything you do flows out of it. Your heart, uh, as it says in the scripture, your heart, in another version says, uh, from your heart, spring the springs of life. And it says it's because the spiritual and moral life that we will have, uh, the spiritual and and, and moral life that we have will determine everything and all of our interactions. It's impossible to have a healthy relationship if you aren't healthy. Now, what makes for a friend, a good parent, a good wife, or a husband is that you and I are healthy. Now, in the scripture, Solomon says that um, everything we do flows from our hearts. And I think what he's talking about is like a river. Now, in a river, uh, our hearts are like a river in that everything we do is affected by this one stream that's always running, that's always current, that's always affecting every single relationship that we have. Now, even if you, you, know, you start your, the first couple of dates, everybody's pretending to be something that they're not, right? right? Nobody comes out in their PJs until like date seven, right? Everybody has makeup on, everybody's looking good, you make sure you have a shape up before you go over the house and you brush your teeth, but by date 10, you don't even brush your teeth anymore. It's just whatever happens, whatever happens, happens. But we can hide ourselves for a little bit, but eventually... Uh, eventually who we are on the inside is going to come out and it's going to affect the relationships that we have. Jesus says it like this in Luke 6 and 45, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks. The way you interact and the way you deal with other people is based on what your heart is already full of. See, other people didn't put that stuff inside of you. That stuff was already there. Uh, That stuff was already been there. Now, what if your inward life isn't right? What if your what if your heart is believing some lies? What if there are some myths that are shaping your deepest convictions? What if there are some things that believe that you believe that are shaping the way you see relationships and shaping the way you see life and you see God and you see other people? What if they're all lies? Now, popular myth has a couple of myths out there, and uh, we're going to see in a second that they are extremely dangerous. And please, 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 please hear me out on this. Even if you're, like, brand new to church and you don't know kind of how much you agree or disagree with what we're saying, man, these things are dangerous. The first myth is this, you should do what makes you happy, right? You should do what makes you happy. Do you, boo-boo. Do you. Whatever makes you happy, do it. Who going to check me, right? Blaise Pascal, a French mathematician, philosopher, and theologian, uh, not exactly the guy I want to watch the Super Bowl with tonight, actually, but he says it this way, All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and others avoiding it, it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. This is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. Now, Pascal is making a really bold statement here. He's saying, even the people that commit suicide are doing it in pursuit of happiness, that they feel that at the end of the day, if I do this, I'll be happy, and there's no measure too extreme that humans will place to search for happiness. But here's the problem with that. What makes you happy will change every couple of years. What makes you happy might change every couple of days. And if we base our lives based on what makes us happy, then every couple of years, you're going to need a new spouse, you're going to need new friends, a new church, uh, you're going to need a new wardrobe, you're going to need, actually getting a new wardrobe is a good idea, right? <laughs> you got to stay swaggy, you got to stay current in all of the current trends. But every couple of years, you're going to need a, new, a whole new set of things, because if you believe that you should do what makes you happy, then as soon as somebody stops making you happy, you'll be on to the next. And brothers and sisters, man, a good relationship is not formed in just what makes you happy, but it is formed in the furnace of sacrifice and of forgiveness and of of submission and working it out in tough situations. That's what makes for a good relationship. See, doing us what makes us happy is a a terrible guide for our lives, especially for those of us in here who call ourselves followers of Jesus. Right? When Jesus called people to follow him, he never said, hey, hey, you should follow me only, only, only if it's cool with you. Right? Like, if it's cool with you, please follow me this way. Or if it's cool with you, yeah, you can do this. Man, Jesus did the opposite. In John 6 and 66, man, it says that there were some disciples who turned and followed Jesus no more. You want to know why? Because Jesus was calling them to do stuff that didn't make them happy, and they shook out and went the other direction. See, following Jesus is not about what doing uh, it's not about doing what makes us happy. It's, it's the opposite. It's laying our lives down and submitting. It's giving the control over our, the destination of our lives to, to God, not to, not to do what makes us happy, but just in submission to Lord Jesus. Now, people that call themselves followers of Jesus uh, in, in here, uh, when we hear words in Scripture, like when Jesus talked about what the ultimate command was, Said so Jesus, what's the ultimate command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. And to clarify that, Jesus says in Matthew 7 and 12, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do it to them. This is the law of the prophets. Now, whatever you want other people to do to you, if you don't want anybody to forgive you, don't forgive them. If you don't want anybody to be gracious to you when you make mistakes because you will make mistakes, don't be gracious to them. And here Jesus is saying uh, "This what we know in society as a golden rule that uh, will guide and shape our relationships. It's the antithesis. It's the opposite of just do whatever makes you happy. It's do to other people what you would have them do to you. And if you believe in the lies of society that tell us that we can just do whatever makes us happy, man, we're going to have horrendous relationships. See, nobody in here wants to be with a selfish person. Nobody in here wants to be with a person that's all about themselves, but yet, man, so often we're tempted by this lie that we gotta do what makes us happy. See, I, I have to face this every single day in our house. Uh, there's a number of things that my wife does at, the home, at, our, at our house. She's made our house into a home. If it was up to me, we would have one black leather couch, white walls, and a really big TV, but she snazzed it up a whole lot. But there's one thing she asked me to do around the house, and that's this, do the dishes. Now, all day, I dream about changing the world, but I never want to do the dishes. And if, if, my, if the thing that shapes my life is I'm just gonna do what makes me happy, you know what, I'm gonna have a terrible marriage. And to be perfectly honest, there are plenty of days I walk past the sink, I'm like, I didn't see that, I'm just gonna. <laughs> I didn't see, I didn't see there were dishes in the sink, I didn't even stop in the kitchen. I have, I've been on a hunger strike for the last three days. See, none of us uh, would ever want to be with a selfish person. If I told you that, yes, my wife, is, she's sick, and I didn't feel like going with her to the doctor because um, I was watching ESPN, right? You would say, you are a jerk, which is true. But what if I were to say, um, I was watching ESPN, and ESPN makes me happy, which is also true? Like, would you say, well, okay, that's a good idea. That now, <laughs> now I get your point, now I understand. You would say, it doesn't matter what you think, what made you happy for those 20 minutes watching ESPN. Dude, you made a commitment. You're in a covenant with this person. Who cares what makes you happy? See, so many of us, uh, in the back of our heads, I think that we are thinking that we should just do what makes us happy, and that should be the thing that guides our direction. But brothers and sisters, man, that is the fastest way to a terrible relationship. Now, the second myth, which is uh, equally dangerous, um, is is, is this right here, is that marriage is ultimate. Now, I want to be very gentle on this because there's a lot of different uh, people in a lot of different situations in life, and I, and I want to be very clear on how I explain this. Marriage is a really good thing, right? If you are in a good marriage, it is one of the best things that could be going on for your life. I love being married, and I'm not just saying that because I'm scared of my wife, and she's sitting here. <laughs> but marriage is a really, really good thing, and if you want to be married, great. Don't hide that. Don't pretend like you don't want to be married or don't be super spiritual or uh, the, the, the crazy line that I've heard before is once you stop wanting to be married, that's when God is going to bring your husband into the picture. That is, that is a terrible, terrible, terrible lie. But even saying that, that marriage is an amazing and a really, really good thing, so many of us can turn a good thing into an ultimate thing. And that we believe that marriage is, is the ultimate, and that, right, that belief is, is doing two things. One, it's killing the relationships that we are in already. And two, it's preventing us from getting in good relationships. Now, what, what do I mean by that? Now, if you're married and you are in a relationship, marriage relationship, if you think that marriage is ultimate, then ultimately, then you will put so much weight on your spouse to bear who you are in, in, in your identity that every single time they disappoint you, it will crush you. Because you've made up in your mind that this person, this situation is the ultimate thing and you can't handle mediocrity in your marriage. So every single time something goes wrong, every time you realize that your spouse isn't perfect, you come down with a hammer to try to immediately fix it because God forbid this person that you're married to isn't perfect. God forbid this person made a mistake. God forbid they had a lapse in judgment. Because if you're thinking that marriage is, is ultimate, And this thing will ultimately give you significance. You're looking to that marriage to save you. And you'll never have grace for the other person. You'll never be able to sit down and be empathetic. Uh, You'll never be able to to really uh, love this person in a way that uh, God wants you to love them. Because you're looking to this person to bear all the weight of your identity. Man, so many times in this last couple of years, uh, I've talked to men and I've talked to women uh, that are in dire situations in their relationships. And each time I've talked to them, it's been one familiar thing. It's been this. Uh, You have no idea how hard I worked on the relationship. You have no idea how how many times I begged him to do this, or I begged her to do this, or I was working really hard, and she wasn't doing this, and he wasn't doing this. And you know what they do? Eventually, they step out. And the reason they did this was, was this. In their brains, in their minds, and in their hearts, they could not accept that their marriage was mediocre that their marriage wasn't fulfilling all of their needs, so they ran to the first place that, was, that would fulfill their needs and satisfy them. So they ran away from the covenant. They ran away from the commitment that they had made to God and to others. Because this person wasn't satisfying my needs, I'm going to go out and do this. Now, for some people, it could be physical. For others, it, it's emotional. It's emotional. You're sending out messages that you know you shouldn't be sending, but it feels good when you're doing that. It feels good when you talk to this coworker or that coworker. It feels good when you talk to this friend or that friend. It feels good when you go out and you have this amazing, exhilarating, exciting affair. But, brothers and sisters, that will crash down, and the remains of your marriage will look like Fallujah. See, when we believe that marriage is ultimate, We put so much of our hope and our identity into into feeling good about ourselves, into somebody else validating us and making us feel good, and that in and of itself crushes us, and it crushes our relationship. See, when marriage becomes ultimate, we can't ever settle for anything other than this incredible picture we have in our minds of this absolute blissful love. And you have to have it, because looking, uh, looking to it to give us only what God can give us. Now, if you're single... Uh, there's another way that we can uh, this, marriage, this myth that marriage is ultimate could, can really plague our lives. And if you are a, a dude that loves to date 100 women, you're not going to like this next part too much. Um, and you're definitely not going to do that here at Renaissance. Um, but th- this is the way it works out. See, a, a lot of guys, you might be thinking like, yo, this doesn't even apply to me because I don't even want to get married. I'm chilling. I'm minding my business. I got my five shorties on the side. Like, I'm not even thinking about getting married, so you're definitely not talking to me. And, and here is how that is, that is so wrong. See, a lot of you guys, uh, you, the reason you're looking for this perfect spouse, the reason you're looking for a woman that looks like Beyonce with a PhD in chemistry and, and, and rescues puppies in her spare time, and the reason you could never ever tolerate a woman because she didn't put lotion on her heels one day, or you didn't like this about her, or bro, man, I didn't like the, her, the streak she had on her hair or, man, the, you, the fact when you realize that this woman isn't perfect, you go on, right on to the next person and the next person and the next person and the next person. And you never commit because ultimately you're looking for this marriage. You're looking for this relationship that's going to make you feel significant. You're looking for this relationship that's going to make you feel successful that you can walk into, the, uh, into a restaurant with this woman on your arm and everybody's going to look at her and see how important you are. Everybody's going to look at her and see how valuable you are and you have missed it completely. Deep down inside, people feel so insignificant. They're searching for something amazing so that they can finally feel significant. And you're putting your identity not in anything else other than that this person is going to make me feel good, this person is going to validate me, and everybody's going to love me. Now, maybe the most frequent form uh, I, I know of, of this also happening in single people, and uh, forgive me for drawing down the gender lines a little bit on this one, uh, I think it's like this. It's when uh, women are, they refuse to be, to find any joy in life in this current situation. It's that unless I get married, I will not be happy. I don't care what else happens unless I find a man He doesn't have to look like Idris Elba, right? Unless I find a really good man, I am not going to be happy. And that you're so focused on getting married that it's robbing you. Now, let me me say this and let me be abundantly clear. Ladies, being by yourself and single is 30 million times better than being with some knucklehead boy with a beard that won't love you like Jesus does. Now, and, here, and here's why this is so ridiculously dangerous on a really practical level. Most of the people, most of the, the people that believe that marriage is ultimate and they uh, are so focused on getting married that it's robbing them of just living life and enjoying stuff, you're so angry and you're so bitter that it's actually robbing you from people wanting to even approach you. That you become unapproachable simply because you've made this thing an ultimate thing. And the second a dude comes and he realizes, like, yo, she's a clinger, gotta go, Right? and he'll run as fast as he can in the other direction, and you're saying, I can't believe this guy, he did this, he did this, he did this, and we're putting it on the outside, and we're not looking, yes, what he did might have been wrong, but we're putting so much hope and faith in this one person coming to make us feel significant that we can't even just chill and embrace and enjoy whatever God has in front of us. See, believing that marriage is is ultimate will actually keep good people away from you. Now, there's something very, 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 very interesting entrancing and, and attractive. One of the things I love most about my wife when I first met her was that I really felt, and I still feel like that this way today, she does not need me, right? Like if I, if she, if I left her, she wouldn't miss anything. She wouldn't miss a Super Bowl, <laughs> right? But like, up, oh, Jordan left. She wouldn't miss an appointment at the Apple store. It would just be like life, life as usual. And that was very, very, very attractive to me that I knew she was so full of life that she did not need me. She had her identity in something outside of a relationship, and that was extremely attractive and made me pursue her even, even more. See, marriage is not ultimate. I, I, marriage is, is not ultimate, and I know how easy it is for me to say this now because I'm married and things are good and yeah, 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 but I, I know what it feels like to be crushed and disappointed by life and the stage that God has, has you in. Right? I, I buried my late wife when I was 29 years old, She died from cancer, and I know exactly what it feels like to be devastated and to be crushed by life. But the reason I feel that I was able to move on and move forward and enjoy life is because this, I never uh, bought into the myth and the lie that marriage is ultimate, that my identity was only in being Danielle's husband, because a lot of people get stuck in situations only because they're believing this lie. See, the biggest problem is not other people after all. The biggest problem isn't other people. It's it's not that these guys only want to be in situationships or tolerationships or any of these things. The biggest problem is that you and I, man, we're not guarding our hearts. There's stuff flowing outside of us. There's stuff flowing from us. There's uh, There's this selfishness in us that's believing that we should do what makes us happy. And there's this myth that this thing, this relationship is the ultimate thing. You know what? It's, it's infecting our relationships. We got to keep our heart free from these myths because they will lead us in the wrong direction. Now, Solomon says something amazing in the scripture. He says, uh, Ab- above all else, guard your heart, right? So I-, I want you to think about something that you would guard. It could be your-, your children or your niece, your nephew, or your bank account, or your job, or your house, your apartment. And Solomon is saying this, above All of those things guard your heart. Now think about uh, how how much you are guarding, um, you know, how much we guard even Renaissance kids and background checks and security guards and all these different things to make sure that our kids are safe. Now above all of that stuff, make sure you're guarding your heart. Now what are the things that you're doing to make sure that you're not believing uh, these myths that so dangerously shape some relationships? We have to keep our hearts. Now, I think we ha- what it means, Solomon is getting at in the scripture, is that uh, we have to be centered. Because since heart means uh, the thing that makes you, you, I think what Solomon is saying is that uh, the thing um, that impacts the way we, our outlook, the thing that we, uh, the things that we believe about life, uh, we need to protect that and make sure the innermost piece of us is grounded in a good place. Now, I'll say it like this. It's kind of like knowing where your home is. Uh, there's a really big difference between uh, farming in America and farming in Australia, for example. In America, what they do is this. They build gates, they build fences, and they take horses, for example, and they put a horse in a mill of fences. And the horse can't leave because uh, there's fences and there's barbed wire and all these different things all around it. But in Australia, in the outback, it's way too vast and it's way too big and they don't have all the supplies to fence in all the horses. So this is what they do. They dig really deep wells... Uh, really deep wells and give the horses fresh, uh, clean, drinking water. And the the farmers in Australia know this. They know that no matter where the horse uh, is going to, they know that no matter where the horse has come from, it's always going to return to the source of life. And I think what God wants to do in our lives is not to just build fences around us and keep us locked in, but that God wants us to be centered on something that will never run dry. And this is what God wants you to be centered in. It's the gospel. It's that me and you are more sinful than we ever want to think, but at the same time, we are more loved than we can ever imagine. Me and you are more sinful than we can ever uh, uh, think, but at the same time, we're more loved than we can ever imagine. And to be centered is first, to do everything in reliance on God's uh, blood-bought grace and promises. Now, Brothers and sisters, that is the only thing that can bear the weight of your identity. That is the only truth that will stay with you from, from day to day and no matter what situation you are in, that I am, you know, well that, while I was a sinner, God died, Jesus died for me, the ungodly, that I didn't earn this. And this is the one thing that I can put all of the weight of my identity in. This is the one thing that I can put all of the, my hopes and my, and my trust in this, that Jesus came to earth for me and he died for me. And that I didn't earn it, but he gave it to me anyway. Now, regardless of what some knucklehead is doing or not doing, regardless of what your wife does or doesn't do, regardless of what your friends do or or, or don't do, the thing that's going to keep you grounded emotionally and spiritually isn't in how your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your friends are treating you from day to day. Man, that stuff is going to change like the weather. The thing that you need to put all of your hope and your weight in is in this gospel of Jesus Christ. That your identity, your value doesn't come from how pretty a woman is on your arm or how good-looking a guy is on, his, on your arm or how many degrees, how much money he makes or any of that stuff or even being married or, what, or single or widowed or divorced or, or any of these situations. Is that you, man, you're, you're a son. You, you are a daughter. You are a daughter loved by God, and don't ever forget that. Now, for some of us in here, uh, if you're new to church and you're new to church in general or, or Renaissance, man, maybe, you, maybe you've never even started the whole process to think, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Uh, what does it mean to, to be a follower of Christ? Man, I, I would love for you to uh, do one of two things. I would love for you to come down after service for prayer, uh, you know, it'd be confidential. People would love to talk to you about what that looks like to start forming a relationship with Jesus Christ. Or secondly, I would love to talk to you. If you can just write it down in your connection card uh, to sign up for information about baptism or, or sign up for more information for prayer requests, I would love, 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 love to talk to you about what it could look like for you uh, to embrace this relationship, the first relationship with God that's going to shape all of your other relationships. Now, if you are already uh, considering yourself a follower of Jesus, man, I, I want to make sure that you make it a priority to guard your heart. See, every time you turn on a radio, every time you put on Spotify, every time you, you walk past ads, uh, we're being bombarded and bombarded by all these images and thoughts about what relationships should look like on what things should make you feel good. Buy this watch and you'll, you'll be important. Wear this suit and you'll, be, you'll matter. Have this beautiful person on your arm and everybody will love you. And you and I need to guard our hearts. You and I need to take time and... and uh, and set aside time to make sure that the thing that is, grind, that is grounding us, the thing that is feeding us and giving us nourishment, isn't all of these things that are coming from the outside, but that we are spending time with God. Now, contrary to popular opinion, God is not going to zap anybody on their head and just make you into a, an emotionally healthy and spiritually mature person. Like, it's not going to happen. You can come down for prayer a thousand times. Uh, what God wants to do in your life is uh, a long road in the same direction. And a lot of times that means you waking up an extra 10 minutes early to make sure you read a little bit of Scripture, to be reminded of who God is, to make sure you spend some time before anything else happens to pray and to center yourself, to go back to that source, to go back to that well and find your hope and find your, your, your restoration there. Ultimately, I think what's going to cause us to thrive in our relationships is for us to be grounded in that. Let me pray for us. Father, I, uh, man, I don't take it lightly, all of the different things that we've talked about today, Uh, God, I'm grateful for an amazing community of people that are, God, committed to taking that next step to follow you, and that next step looks differently for a lot of people. Our Father, I pray for the people in this room, God, that those who want to be married, God, I pray that you would send people uh, in their direction, send the right person in their direction. But God, before you send anybody in anybody's direction, God, I pray that you ground us in this truth. God, I pray that the way that we would go about our relationships wouldn't be to what makes us happy or what makes us feel good for the moment. God, and I also pray that we don't make a good thing an ultimate thing. Father, uh, only you can make yourself an ultimate thing in our hearts. God, we can want you to be ultimate all all, all we want. But, Father, we just ask for your Holy Spirit to, to touch our hearts. God, to make yourself more beautiful in our lives, to overshadow all of the other affections that we have. God, to overpower all of the different things that are consuming our minds and taking control of our thoughts. God, would you do that in our hearts and our minds today? Father, I pray for the marriages in here that are struggling. God, I pray that you would give them hope. God, that even though they can't do it, you can. Father, the first step in a good relationship with you oftentimes is coming to the end of ourselves and realizing that there's nothing good in us that's gonna that's gonna do it. So, God, a lot of people in this in this room right now are at that place in their relationships that they've run out of resources in themselves. So, God, I I pray that you would help them to realize that you are the source that can sustain. You are the source that can make them grow. Father, I I pray for the friendships that have been broken by distrust and and the family relationships that that are whittling down. God, I pray for grace and for understanding. God, be with us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.